Stick around until the end of the episode to hear a short interview I did this week with DeWitt Fleming Jr., who portrays Lincoln Perry in the new musical A Wonderful World that tells the Louis Armstrong story through each of his four wives, playing at the Cadillac Palace Theater in Chicago, now through October 29th, 2023. He was an African-American performer who went from humble beginnings to become a huge movie star based on a single character, but soon as Hollywood standing, his personal fortunes and his acceptance by fellow blacks collapsed. Today we're discussing Chicago Connections' Lincoln Perry, a.k.a. Step and Fetch It. I'm Tommy Henry, and this is the Chicago History Podcast. Chicago Connections will be a little different than other episodes. These will talk about those individuals who may not have been born here or even spent a lot of time here, but their Chicago connection is indelible. If you aren't familiar with the name Lincoln Perry or Step and Fetch It, the character that Perry created, I'll give you a little overview from Champ Clark's biography of Perry called Shuffling to Ignominy. Between 1927 and 1975, Steppen Fetchett appeared in more than 40 films. He was the first black actor to receive featured credit in a motion picture and was the first black actor to sign a long-term contract with a Hollywood studio. He was the first black actor to drive through the gates of a Hollywood studio with a chauffeur behind the wheel. In his own words, Steppen Fetchett was, quote, the first black actor universally acclaimed a star by the public, end quote. Lincoln Theodore Monroe Andrew Perry was born in 1902 in Key West, Florida. Perry's father worked as a cigar maker and his mother was a seamstress. Running away from home at the age of 12, Perry joined a carnival, eventually developing a comic stage persona that served him well on vaudeville stages. According to Perry, his character Steppen Fetchett was based on a racehorse he bet on that won Perry and his comedy partner took on the stage name Step and Fetch It for their routine, The Two Dancing Fools from Dixie. When that partnership dissolved, Perry blended both names to use as his own. By the early 1920s, Perry had started performing in the all-black theater owners booking association circuit, also known as TOBA, as well as other black circuit theaters. Perry was also writing for the Chicago Defender as an entertainment critic. Now, if you aren't familiar with it, the Chicago Defender was founded in 1905 here in Chicago and was once considered the most important newspaper of its kind. It boasted the highest readership of any African-American newspaper in the country. His column for the Chicago Defender was originally called Lincoln Perry Writes and later Lincoln Perry's Letter. With his entries, Perry was not only able to highlight the efforts of fellow black performers, but also give a generous mention to his own appearances. At its peak, the Toba Theaters numbered more than 40 around the country. Some of the Toba Theaters were grand venues, but most were not. As these theaters were geared toward black Americans, who were in many parts of the country considered second-class citizens, the accommodations for audiences were second-rate, and the working conditions for the performers were horrid. American singer and actress Ethel Waters recalled, quote, 
Of all the rinky-dink dumps I played, nothing was worse than the Monogram Theater in Chicago. End quote. The Monogram, located at 3451 South State Street, reportedly had paper-thin walls, and because it was so close to the L, according to Waters, quote, you stopped singing or telling a joke every time a train passed, end quote. After moving from Chicago to Los Angeles, Perry, going by his stage name Step and Fetch It, was cast as a character called High Pockets in the 1927 MGM silent film In Old Kentucky. According to Mel Watkins, African-American film historian and author of the 2005 biography Step and Fetch It, The Life and Times of Lincoln Perry, Quote, he acted as though he didn't know where he was, and he immediately got the attention of the producers and the director of the film. He was chosen for the part on that basis. They didn't know what to think of him. They were astounded by him. End quote. Perry made such an impression that the Fox Film Corporation signed him to a five-year contract. By the late 1920s, Lincoln Perry had become too busy to write his column for the Chicago Defender. This was also around the time he began to receive criticism for his work. In a 1928 Chicago Defender article titled, Actor Too Proud to Work in Films with Own Race, the writer wrote, All is not well between Fox and his new protege. According to the studio's version, the trouble began when Fetchett decided he did not belong in a picture made wholly by members of his race. He does not like to be surrounded by black actors. He prefers to be an actor in a white cast, it is said. One story represents Fetchett as cast to represent a lazy roustabout lying along a fence whose duty in one scene was to rise regretfully and yawn. He did his part so well that he always fell asleep and failed even to do the rising and stretching parts of his assignment, this accusation said, even after the other actors had built up to this bit of business. Perry responded in a letter printed in the Pittsburgh Courier, stating, quote, I'm quoted as saying, I don't like to be surrounded by colored actors, but prefer to be an actor in a white company. This makes it appear that I'm trying to hi-hat my own race, which is untrue. Perry added, What I really said was that I prefer to work as comedy relief in a company of white people rather than an all-colored picture, because in the former company I have no competition as to dialect and character, and therefore have a much better chance for recognition. End quote. In March of 1929, the Fox film Hearts in Dixie was released, featuring Perry again using his step-and-fetch-it pseudonym. Arts and Dixie is considered the first all-talky, big-budget studio film with a predominantly African-American cast. Just three months later, in June of 1929, the Chicago Tribune carried a brief piece titled Step and Fetch It, Negro Film Actor to Wed Today. It goes on to say Fetch It and 17-year-old Dorothy Stevenson will be married the following morning by Father France in St. Patrick's Roman Church. It concludes with, The actor gave his age as 26 and his real name as Lincoln Theodore Perry. Perry was in fact 27 as of his last birthday in May of that year. That marriage would last until 1931.
Blanche Taylor Dickinson, an American writer associated with the Harlem Renaissance arts movement, did not pull punches when it came to her thoughts on Lincoln Perry's acting in her column, Smoky City Streets, in the May 25, 1929 Pittsburgh Courier. Referring to Lincoln Perry's character, Dickinson writes, Steppen is going to be mighty popular with the white folks. He represents their ideal Negro. Doesn't save a cent, says boss. Has a lot of religion to brag about. In general, he seems to be offstage, just in the alley the white ordinance does not wish closed. When Perry started making the big Hollywood box, he took to living a movie star's life like no one's business. He claimed to have owned 16 automobiles during the 1930s, with one of them being, according to Perry, the first pink car ever seen in Hollywood. He had a limousine driven by a white chauffeur. His wardrobe included 50 shirts and more than two dozen custom-made suits. Perry spent money like it would never stop coming in. In a syndicated column from Hollywood in June of 1936, reporter Paul Harrison wrote, Step and Fetch It is the laziest colored boy you ever did see. Wasn't always lazy. Not this lazy anyway. These days he can't possibly get his heels off the floor. But time was when he danced. Used to swing it plenty in minstrel and medicine shows. There was work to be done too, and Step did it. That was before he learned the joys and handsome benefits of lethargy. Step was a dancer in Hollywood in the silent days, but not doing so well. Then the talkies came in and they put him in a short with some languid lines. He was supposed to be an indolent fella, and indolence came natural to Mr. Fetchit. Finally, he realized that the less he did, the more jobs he got. An astonishing but happy paradox. So, Step has been practically comatose ever since. Laziness is more than a screen trademark. It has become his whole philosophy. During the mid-1930s, Perry made three films with his friend Will Rogers, the famed actor and humorist. While these films were solid paydays for Perry, critics of the film point out that Rogers talks to Perry, as his fetched role, in the same manner one might talk to a not-too-bright house pet. Threats of a kick to the pants of the slow-moving fetch-it sent audiences into hysterics, but his willingness to reinforce the stereotype of the lazy Negro was wearing thin with many. By the late 1930s, film offers slowed. Perry claimed he was tired of trying to get the same wages that his white co-stars received for similar work. There were also rumors that he was not getting offers because... Civil rights groups objected to his portrayal of blacks. Perry essentially walked away from Hollywood. In February of 1940, while Perry was in Chicago performing in the musical Three After Three, he was sued by his six foot four bodyguard for shorting his protector by $84.75, only paying him $20.25. This suit was later dismissed by a judge. By the summer of that year, Perry was performing in person on stage at the Oriental Theater, now the James M. Niederlander Theater on Randolph, billed as Step and Fetch It, Screen's Lazy Comic, and joined by Andy Kirk and his band in Cotton Club Review. The ad for the show in the Chicago Tribune claimed, 
It's a struttin', jivin' smasheroo, and refers to the review as the original sepia smash. Honestly, I don't think I've ever seen an ad referring to a black cast as a sepia smash, but considering the ad shows drawings of two musicians that, to my eyes, appear to be in blackface, uh... There was a paternity suit in 1941 here in Chicago, which Perry lost, and in July of 1943, the front-page banner of the July 10th issue of the Chicago Defender read, Step and Fetch It, Arrested with Girl, 16. Lincoln Perry had been performing at the Regal Theater in the Bronzeville neighborhood on the city's south side. Police were notified by a Mrs. Juanita Randolph that her daughter, also named Juanita, might be with Perry. When police raided Perry's room at the Vincennes Hotel, they found 41-year-old Perry and 16-year-old Juanita in their pajamas. Perry was arrested and charged with contributing to the delinquency of a minor, and served six months in jail. By 1945, with his fortunes dwindling, Perry returned to Hollywood, but the demand for what he offered was long in the past. He declared bankruptcy in 1947, stating assets of $146, that's around $2,000 in today's value. Things seemed to pick up for Perry when he married Beatrice Sims in October of 1951, then scored a role in the Jimmy Stewart Rock Hudson Western Bend of the River, released in 1952. In 1953, Fetchett appeared in the John Ford film The Sun Shines Bright in the role of Jeff Poindexter. In the 1960s, Perry befriended boxer Cassius Clay, later known as Muhammad Ali, allegedly even teaching Ali some punches that Perry learned from heavyweight boxing champion Jack Johnson. Still, his time back in Chicago was relatively quiet, performing on stages wherever he could find bookings. I found a great quote attributed to Perry in the Joseph McBride article, Step and Fetch It Talks Back, in the summer 1971 film Quarterly. That made me laugh, especially if you know anything about Chicago politics where the phrase, vote early, vote often, has long coincided with local elections. The author met Perry at a, quote, garish bottomless joint in Madison, Wisconsin, end quote, in December of 1970. Perry performed a 20-minute comedy set in between an entertainer called Miss Heaven Lee and one called Miss Akiko O'Toole. I like that kind of a Japanese-Irish thing. Quote, Negroes vote 20 or 25 times in Chicago. They don't try to cheat or nothing like that. They're just trying to make up for the time they couldn't vote down in Mississippi. When you're in Mississippi, you have to pass a test. Nuclear physics in Russian. And if you pass it, they say, boy, you speak Russian. You must be a communist. You can't vote. I'm going to pause for a moment while I consider the difficulties many black voters in the South face now, even more than 50 years after Perry's quote. In October 1970, Fetchett received word that actor-director Ozzie Davis planned to film the story of Fetchett's life. 
While Davis was a respected performer and playwright who, along with his wife Ruby Dee, were well-known civil rights activists and close friends of Malcolm X, Jesse Jackson, and Martin Luther King Jr., Fetchett was not having it. Quote, Ozzie Davis does not personally know me, said Fetchett, and his commercial outlooks could never meet the approval of my ideals toward God and my country and all of mankind non-foreign. Davis denied any involvement in a film about Fetchett, stressing that if he did decide to direct a movie about Fetchett, it would need to, quote, portray the tragedy of the man caught in circumstances he couldn't control, end quote. Davis also said he knew of no film studio that would be interested in such a story. While many came to see the Stepan Fetchett character as harmful to blacks, Perry often angrily defended himself. In 1967, Perry told Newsweek, quote, I went in the back door, so now Sidney Poitier, the first black man to win an Oscar for Best Actor, could come in the front door. In 1971, Perry told Jet Magazine he, quote, wiped away the image of the rapist from the Negro, end quote, likely referring to scenes in the 1915 film Birth of a Nation, which glorified the Ku Klux Klan and demonized blacks. With his star power long faded, Perry moved into senior housing on Chicago's South Side. One of his last film appearances was in a 1972 made-for-TV movie shot here in Chicago called Cutter, in which the then 70-year-old Perry is credited as Shoeshine Man. His last two films, according to the Internet Movie Database, were 1974's Amazing Grace with Moms Mabley in her final appearance... Slappy White, and Rosalind Cash. I've not seen this movie, but Perry's name was included on the poster. His final film was the 1976 Paramount feature, Wonton Tan, The Dog Who Saved Hollywood, in which he plays a butler, the same role he played in his 1927 debut. In 1976, despite previously decrying his character, the Hollywood chapter of the NAACP, awarded Perry a special NAACP Image Award. Two years later, he was inducted into the Black Filmmakers Hall of Fame. Perry suffered a stroke in April of 1976. While recuperating at Michael Reese Hospital in Chicago for nearly a month, he received thousands of letters and calls from fans. Celebrity friends such as John Wayne, Muhammad Ali, Satchel Paige, and Ben Vereen stopped by the hospital. President Gerald Ford sent a letter. One month later, Ben Vereen hosted a benefit at Chicago's Airy Crown Theater. The master of ceremonies was Muhammad Ali. Although still paralyzed, Perry was wheeled on stage as the audience serenaded him with, Happy birthday to you. It was Perry's 73rd birthday. As the singing died down, Perry was able to utter, I want to thank everybody. Perry moved back to California, living out his remaining days at the motion picture Country House in Woodland Hills, just outside of Los Angeles proper. He died in 1985 at the age of 83 and is buried in Calvary Cemetery in Los Angeles. 
Although he's been gone for nearly 40 years as of this writing, there are still signs of Lincoln Perry's time here in Chicago. There is a nine-story Chicago Housing Authority complex for seniors at 3245 South Prairie in the Douglas neighborhood on Chicago's south side. It was here that Perry lived in the 1970s. So beloved was Perry by his neighbors that his fellow residents got the Housing Authority to name the building after him. It is now called the Lincoln Perry Apartments and Lincoln Perry Annex. Inside the lobby is a bronze dedication plaque, which is hung on the wall since 1979. At the top it reads, Lincoln Perry Apartments, and under that, in parentheses, is Step and Fetch It. My guest today is DeWitt Fleming Jr., who hails from Washington, D.C., where he began developing his talents at Duke Ellington School for the Arts. After graduating Ellington, Fleming attended Marymount Manhattan College in New York City and graduated with a B.A. in acting. Since then, Fleming has gone on to become a world-renowned tap dancer, singer, actor, and drummer. He has toured the world as a featured tap dancer with Riverdance, Cirque du Soleil, danced with the Grammy Award-winning artist Alicia Keys, Wynton Marsalis, Bobby McFerrin, and was featured on the HBO Emmy Award-winning show Boardwalk Empire and NBC's America's Got Talent. Fleming can currently be seen right here in Chicago in the new musical A Wonderful World. Well, first of all, welcome to Chicago. A little background about you that I'm sure people would like to know. When did you first feel the desire to perform? And when did you realize that performing is what you wanted to do for a career? Oh, man, that's a good question. I'll, I'll be very brief because this can get long. <laughs> um, performing started when I was uh, around 13 years old. And it literally started as a, a dare from my sister. Um, I had two older sisters and I was always teasing them. I was a class clown all the time. And she dared me to be the dancing Santa and the Christmas show in our junior high school. And uh, I said, okay, of course I'll do it. And I went out and tried out and made it. And the rest is history. I got the theater bug from that. Funny, I never thought of it as a career. It's just something I really enjoyed doing. Things just kind of happened. But I never had that moment where I was like, I want to do this and only this as a career. You act, you dance, you tap, you sing, you play drums. Are there other things that you want to take on in the 40 seconds or so of the spare time you have in your week? <laughs> no, <laughs> because I also have two, uh, a three-year-old and a two-year-old. And so uh, I think my hands are full. <laughs> <laughs> And they're not quite old enough to know what dad does for a living, but that's going to be fun when they're older. Yeah, yeah. You played the role of Lincoln Perry with Miami New Drama at the Colony mm -hmm. Theater in Miami Beach. How much did you know about Lincoln Perry and the character of Step and Fetch it before you took the stage? Oh, man, that's a good question. I mean, I whenever I take on a role, I do. I try to do really extensive research. Um, so, um even before accepting the, the job, I did some research um, just because of that character. You hear that name, you know, and all these things just start to pop up and feeling and things you think you know. Um, and so I did my research before even signing the contract or going down to Miami because um, I wanted to know what I was getting myself into. Uh, and so um, I, I, I was well versed as much as I could be. Um, but 
uh, after that, I mean, since then, I mean, things just keep popping up and it's so much stuff that I thought I knew that I didn't know. And, you know, so it, it, it's, yeah, it's been a, a quite a journey. I'm still learning. So it's, it's really amazing. Was it difficult to inhabit such a complicated character? It's always difficult when dealing with things like that because they're so, so close to home. Yeah, it, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult, but you always find the humanity and find something in a character. That's the first thing that I have to do is find the humanity and find out who this person really was as opposed to who people say they were. Because you don't want to get into a trap of playing an image of somebody. And so you, I, I really try, try to dive in and who person was. I try to find interviews. I try to find you know anything I can that's from their mouth, from the source. Um, or, or at least from members of people that love them or, you know, anything I can. So it becomes less difficult once you find who that person is, the humanity in that person and really, you know, who they are. It, it, then it, it, it's not as hard because you see the person. Did you get any pushback from anyone? Like, don't take this role or how could you take this role? And you know what he means to, you know, the history of black Americans, anything like that? Um, we usually don't get that far <laughs> in the conversation because I'll say it and then they'll, you know, kind of tilt their head and give a look, you know, and then I'll just go into my spiel <laughs> and just about just his brilliance and everything he's done. And, you know, uh, the, a lot of the way comedy and, and entertainment is today is, is because of him, you know, and I go down all this list of things and people are just like, oh, wow. I didn't know that. I want to go find out about him. Yeah, you should. Because once you start digging up and, and, and looking at his history and reading on him, I mean, it's it's addictive. You just, this guy was just so like amazing and yeah. so captivating. Sure. Yeah. Let's get on to you being here in Chicago. What would you say is the most exciting thing about playing this part at the historic Cadillac Palace Theater here in Chicago? Ah. Uh. <laughs> Well, I mean, the fact that he wrote for the Chicago Defender, of course, you know, it's it's just great that, you know, he, he has uh, some history here. He's played Chicago a bunch of times, you know, with his show and just, you know, Cadillac Theater is just beautiful and just such a historic place. I mean, just performing there, period, is always a treat um, and always a treat. Like I said, coming to Chicago, I mean, people here uh, are so well-versed in theater, well-versed in their history and and so proud of their history. And so you get a different appreciation or understanding. You get people asking you questions, teaching you stuff that you might not have known, you know, about Chicago. So, you know, it's, it's always a treat and a pleasure to be here and perform in, in any capacity. What should everyone planning to attend a wonderful world here in Chicago and all future cities expect to see in here? Oh, man, you, you, you're going to hear and see uh, a bunch of things. I mean, this is the life of Louis Armstrong, you know. And on top of that, it's uh, told by four of his wives. A lot of people didn't know he had four wives, you know. Um, and James Monroe Engelhardt, he really, <laughs> he brings it home. He brings you into the life of Louis Armstrong, who he was. I mean, we're going six decades of his life. And so uh, th that's quite a feat, you know. You're going to see some uh, amazing choreography. Uh, Ricky Tripp is our uh, choreographer, and he really takes us through these years 
you know, with that dancing. I and I'm the tap choreographer, so you're gonna see a great tap dance number, of course. Um, and uh, the music. I mean, some of this music is over a hundred years old, you know. And and what Anastasia, uh, uh, Victory, and, and Michael Mitchell have taken this music and refreshed it, and and just made it so um, just fun and and and. Uh, dramatic and they've just done amazing arrangements to this music that we all know and love and sometimes you listen you're like how did they come up with that from this because you know the song you know um so it's really amazing it, it, you're gonna have a fun time you're gonna laugh you're gonna cry you know you're gonna shock you know um it's just a, a great journey about a great historical figure that changed everybody's live as far as music is concerned in this country you know you'll be in chicago for the next few weeks other than performing for crowds attending a wonderful world what are you most looking forward to experiencing here in the greatest city in the world ah <laughs> you know every time i come here i have to go see the blues that is just something i have to do um and you know i just love music I'm a big music fan. Music is a big part of my my history as a performer. And so that's the number one thing I always do. You know, we went to Blue Chicago last night, you know, Buddy Guys and, you know, Kingston Mine, Green Mill and all that stuff. So I just got to do my rap, my music rounds when I get here. You ever have the urge to sit in with the band? Yes, I have I have sat in before, oh, um, nice. which is always it's been it's been years it's been years you know, it's been a long time but you know you start hearing stuff at first you go and say no I'm just gonna listen and then you say oh man I gotta get up there and, <laughs> and and play too and everybody's been you know it's always been cool everybody's been so welcoming you know it's 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 a fun time always a good time there I'm excited to see the show and I'm excited that you took time out to to do this so thank you so much. Oh, of course. Thank you. You know, always a pleasure. And uh, I'll see you at the theater. Thanks for listening to Chicago Connections. Lincoln Perry, a.k.a. Step and Fetch It. This episode was written, recorded, and edited by me, Tommy Henry. Check out the Chicago History Podcast Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram pages for articles and pictures related to this episode and past episodes posted throughout the week. If you want to reach out with questions or suggestions for future topics, you can leave me a voice message by going to chicagohistorypod.com and clicking on the microphone in the lower corner. Depending on the content, I may play your message on a future episode. The original art for the Chicago History Podcast used on the social media pages was created by John K. Schneider. Gracias, amigo. He can be found at angelizeartjks on Instagram or via email at angelizeartjks at gmail.com. I will be back soon with more stories from Chicago's history. Until then, get out and explore when possible. Learn more about whatever city you live in and stay safe.